0: This is NHI Notables with Ernesto Nieto, recorded at the National Hispanic Institute in Maxwell, Texas.
1: Hello, sir. Okay. Hello, Carlos. Como estas? Muy bien. Oye, Carlos. How are you, Ernie? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, as a matter of fact. And, uh, we wanted to do this podcast with you for a while. And I know you're one of, uh, our favorite guys from Houston. I kiddingly told Julio that you one of these days may be a favorite son, uh, depending on your political future and thoughts about tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway, Godless, let's start out taking me, take me back a little bit on memory lane how you first got started with the National Hispanic Institute. Can you give us a sh- a short, brief update?
0: Sure. So, Ernie, I just thank you for having me on. Um, you know, the National Hispanic Institute has been uh, a part of the family since I was about, I think, eight, seven, eight years old. Uh, my sisters both went to Milby High School, which is in a near your old neighborhood here in uh, Houston's East End. Um, and they were recruited... Uh, to participate in the wild Sea. And at that time, they would go to meetings at St. Thomas University. That's true. And of course, and of course, I would get to go along as the annoying little brother. So I got to go to all the, the NHI meetings and training meetings that they had. And for me, um, and I, of course, one of my parents. Um, and it was a time where I could act older than I really was and try to, um, Fit in with uh, the cool kids, um, and for my sisters, it was the time where their annoying little brother was always following them around. Um, <laughs> but uh, so for me, it's always been a part of the family. And uh, when it was my turn um, to to be a part of what was um, then called the Young Leaders Conference, on the Great Debate, uh, it was a no brainer that I would participate. And uh, and uh, that's I guess that was the start of the NHI journey for me.
1: Yeah, well, that that's a few years back. I won't I won't suggest to the listening audience how far back that's been, but uh, <laughs> I, I, l- l- let me ask you: your whole family, uh, your mom, your dad, uh, your sisters, your brothers. I mean, a little bit of history on them because I think it's been a journey for them as well. That has to do that goes beyond beyond NHI. Can you give us a little background on
0: that? Sure. So my family. Uh, were immigrants from the Texas border. My parents were born in Tamaulipas. Um, and from the moment they were, that they had my two youngest sisters. Um, they had the great responsibility and, and the burden of having to take care of my mom's side of the family, her brothers and sisters. So instantly my dad went from being uh, a father of two to a father of, uh, of about five. And um, so he made the the journey to, to Houston, um, and with the family, and um, you know, him and my mom made the decision that they were going to raise everyone as their own. All the kids, all the uh, who are now my aunts and uncles, but look to my parents as as mom and dad. Yes, absolutely. Um, in addition to our kids.
1: And so, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And uh, all of them are college educated. Am I not correct?
0: Right. So I have uh, five brothers and sisters. Uh, two older sisters than me. I'm the middle. Uh, and then I have a younger brother and a younger sister and we've all participated in, in HI programs and we all have graduated from high school and graduated from college and my sisters have started their own families and, um, and for my parents, uh, I think this journey, uh, from being, you know, middle school educated to then seeing all their kids graduate, um, from high school and then graduating from college has been, I think, unreal in many ways uh, because I don't think they could have ever dreamt that something like this would have ever happened to
1: them. Well, I think that speaks volumes for the values of your parents and their dedication to the work ethic. And all of you have always been outstanding young people. I I was just wondering, just out of barrio
0: curiosity,
1: all Mm -hmm. all all of you went to Milby?
0: No, no. So only my two oldest sisters with Cameli. I went to a local elementary school uh, in my neighborhood, and then in fourth grade, I got uh, selected to be in the Vanguard program at uh, a really great elementary and middle school. Um, so uh, starting from when I was in fourth grade, I had to ride the bus um, to from the southeast side of Houston all the way to the Galleria. Okay. So I think I was the third the third bus stop. Um, in the morning. So my my work my work day my day when I was in fourth grade started at about like five thirty in the morning to get to the bus stop Jesus. at five fifty six o'clock, and then I was at the third bus stop. I would go all the way to the Galleria, go to school, and then jump on the bus, and I'd be home. Uh, I think by like five five thirty, and do my homework, and it would continue. And I think what I remember the most about Um, you know, and I did that from fourth to eighth grade. And then in in high school, I went to, um, a magnet school near, um, Memorial or near uh, Memorial Park. Uh, but I, what I remember about being little and having to like wait at the bus is that my mom would be the person who taught me or she would quiz me for the spelling test every day. So we'd be there. Um, it was, you know, really dark out still in the morning and she would be quizzing me. Um, and it wasn't until I was a lot older that I realized, like, that maybe both of us were learning. Um, so she was quizzing me on these words and this vocabulary that, um, you know, she as a Spanish-speaking uh, mom didn't, didn't know and was learning herself. So I think it's, it's only later in time that I realized that, that you know, it was as beneficial to her to, to be teaching me and quizzing me as it was to me. So just,
1: just a couple of quick questions. Where did you go to college?
0: So I went to George Washington University in Washington D.C.
1: So essentially, uh, you're back home there. over there, right? Be- being down in D.C.
0: Yeah, now that I'm now that I'm back uh, for my second tour of duty uh, okay. in uh, Washington D.C., um, it's it's been a, a change, but it's been it's been it's been great. Well, let let me ask you
1: kind of a reflective question. Social mm-hmm. mobility. You went from actually barrio life small neighborhood life, close-knit family, all of a sudden, boom, uh, Vanguard, special studies, accelerated studies, boom, uh, right. college, leaving home, going to another part of the nation. Uh, how how did all of this affect you in terms of your view of the world, your view of yourself, your direction in life?
0: Hey, I try to think back because I often... My mom tells me, she reminds me sometimes that she, she says, you know, you did all of this on your own. Um, and then I asked her, what do you mean? She said, you know, you went away to school from when you were a little kid and and just everything that you said or any. And, um, I didn't really ever think about it that way because I always felt like they were with me. It's so much. I remember my parents would tell me, you know, we can't be there with you, but remember the values that we taught you. And remember, and, and if you, you honor our name and, and, you know, do everything that you're supposed to do, we're, that's how we're there with you. Um, and for me, every step that I took outside of, you know, my neighborhood was a, a, a step outside of my world. Um, and, you know, it but actually, and my parents always reminded me, don't think less of yourself. You know, you deserve to be there, um, especially if you're working as hard as you are. Um, and so a lot of it was adapting to situations that I had never encountered and, Often watching and observing, and then mimicking some of those things. Absolutely. That, in a way that aligns with my values, and then kind of faking it until I feel comfortable.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what faking it means because I don't know what it means, but uh, we'll, we'll get yeah, into it. Yeah, just kind
0: of <laughs> going along, like something going I'll along with one, the
1: crowd uh, sometimes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just like you know, like as a. English is a second language speaker, I remember one time I called um, a friend, and her mom answered the phone, and my friend wasn't there, and so she said, oh, you know, so-and-so is out of pocket. I mean, I had never heard that you phrase heard before in my terrible. life, out of pocket. <laughs> I never heard that phrase before. So, yeah, uh, I called back, and my friend picked up the phone, she's like, hey, I need even talk to my mom. She She said that it seemed like you didn't know what the word "out of pocket" and the phrase "out of pocket" I was. Like, no, I had no, idea. I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> you,
1: you, like, you, that you you literally you literally visualize someone outside of a pocket, probably. Yeah, yeah I, with a literal I, like, translation. <laughs> Let me ask you: Did your parents have just a basic education or very little education? Uh, tell me about that. Uh,
0: you know, I think my dad had maybe one year of middle school. Um and he was sent out to work from when he was a little a little boy. Yeah. Um he was the oldest uh boy in his family and so it was on him to help provide for the family. And my mom uh went to high school, but she didn't graduate. Um and so for her, um I think her dream and she would say this all the time is uh you know, I felt like I have a in my other lives I did this. You know, my other lives I did this and I wish I would have Graduate high school, and I've always wanted to go to school. And I was so good at at school, and I loved it. And then I had to stop going, and so I felt that a piece of my responsibility was to do well because our parents couldn't.
1: So, so how
0: didn't did you, part of that opportunity?
1: Okay, at that point, how does NHI begin to enter your life? You you go to the great debate. Am I correct?
0: Yeah, and I don't think I ever told you this story, honey, but kind of goes back to like fake it till you make it. Um, but I remember we were, uh, you know, you have to buy nice suits or, you know, dress professionally to go, uh-huh. uh, to the, the dates. And so, uh, we, of course, uh, we had five kids in the family and we were cash strapped. And so my mom said, you know, we're going to go to the, uh, resale shops. And we're going to buy you some suits and then we're going to take them to a the tailor and they're going to fix them and make them fit. <laughs> and at first I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, she said, no, 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 trust me. So I did. So we went, and then we did exactly what she said. And I was the best-dressed guy, like for all the debates. Um, And this was one of those things that is imprinted on me because it it doesn't matter if your stuff is new or old. It's a matter about it matters how much, um, how well you can feel comfortable in your skin and the confidence that you have uh, with what you have. Um, and I think that was one of the key lessons that I learned from my NHR experience is that, you know, if you have confidence, if you're able to hang with the best, um there's no reason to think less of, of who you are and and of of where you came from. Um, and then those those two things have been valuable to did me you, did you, in every in everything I've ever done.
1: Did you end up going over to Austin College? Is that the is that the tournament you went to, the NHI great debate?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we went to the, we went to the great debate in Austin College and uh, back then, uh, and maybe it, it's happening again, but Houston was a powerhouse. So I think we were just beginning to dominate the great debates. Um, and I think my first year was the first year we came within like 30 points and we lost by 32 points. Uh, but I was uh, in cross examination, had great coaches. Um, and it was, I think my f- first time being away like in a college setting in college dorm. Right, um, and and feeling that kind of pressure, that uh, the, the, the atmosphere that's created there, the great debate.
1: And and did you say Houston won or Houston lost?
0: Houston lost. We came in second place, and we lost by thirty two points. To who? And we were short. We were short one person, so we would have won. Just uh, pointing that out. Putting that out there.
1: Is that the excuse everybody makes. That if we had one more participant. You know, would have done. Been- <laughs> I'm
0: Just kidding you. And, you. and you were in CrossX,
1: and then from there you go to the LDZ. Which one did you go to?
0: I went to the LDZ in California, Los Angeles, and at that time wow. it was um it was being hosted at Occidental College.
1: Right, I remember well. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, Vanessa Chapa might have been the SOS. Do you remember who the SOS was? Or is it a distant memory? Mm, I
0: don't, I don't remember, but I think, I think you're right.
1: Now, did you end up in the House or Senate, or where did you end up?
0: Wow, Ernie, the House, really?
1: <laughs> I just needed for you to make a public statement of where of, no. where, of where, <laughs> <laughs> of where <laughs> you ended up. Go ahead, tell me why it ended <laughs> up that <laughs> way.
0: I mean, no offense to the House, right? You know, it's the people's house, um, but uh, now I was the governor.
1: Uh, Are you with the youth that, governor? I did LDC. Well, pardon me, sir. I, 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 I correct my ways. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. And, and did you finish the cycle? Did you go to the CWS? Uh,
0: I did not go to CWS. Okay. Unfortunately. It was one of my biggest regrets. But I stayed um, I stayed uh, committed to the, to the local chapter. So I was a counselor all four years here as a trainer for uh, the Houston NHI chapter. And now for a quick break.
1: The National Hispanic Institute is an organization with a 37-year history of working to change the social narratives of our young Latinas and Latinos to help them envision a new America, a new Latino community, a new direction, and a different kind of culture. We want our young people to be inspired by who they are and see the asset value of our culture and these 800 million people and this vast amount of land that starts all the way in Canada and goes all the way to the tip of Argentina. Our hope for an alum is that A, that they have the mindset of giving back to their community, that they want to help, they want to contribute. And B, is that they realize this throughout their entire lives and make leadership part of their overall journey throughout their whole life. The National Hispanic Institute has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. It has literally educated and re-educated an entire generation or two now of young Latinos and their allies around the country, around the world to think about our community and think about our role in the community as being change agents and ultimately in advancing the cause and the needs of our community.
0: Personally the National Hispanic Institute has helped me reach goals and do things that I didn't think I was going to be able to do before.
1: And so what we did was create these learning experiences where young people could learn to be in charge of things. We just encourage people to go way beyond a career in life. We want to see them have a community calling.
0: NHI is a place where I come and I have to learn how do I pass on values. And then the benefit
1: of that self-belief it's possible things are possible for all of us and that we can contribute to the success of others we look at the richness of our community at its value at its capacities and we go from that point forward we don't want our young people to look at themselves and their communities and look down we want them to look up and be inspired
0: and now back to the conversation
1: i know you've been one of our most involved alumnus, or should I say alumni of uh, in terms of the plural. And, and I know you've been very committed to the Houston program as much as your parents and your sisters and your brothers. I mean, the entire family has always set out like a shining light out there, an example and the testimonies that are paid to what happens to families that do things together. I think if there's an underscore, an emphasis, uh, that would be uh, about the Paz family, and it remains today. And as you well know, we recognized your mother at celebracion for her commitment to this project. Well, she deserved it. She deserved Please. every bit of it. Uh, I, I guess.
0: You made her very happy that weekend.
1: I guess at the end of the day, if you were to sum up, what is the value, or what has been, in your view, the value of this NHI experience? in relationship to kids who may not go through it?
0: Hmm. it's, um, that's a really good question. And I think about that all the time because we're often in, in schools and, uh, and different places where young people are to try to convince them to take a step outside of their comfort zone and, and give up a Sunday, um, two Sundays, three Sundays a month, uh, to come and debate, essentially. Uh, But the value, I mean, for me, as someone who's given so much time to to kind of create a program here locally, it's a different kind of community. Um, And I look at it in two ways. One, I look at what we're able to do with parents. I often talk to parents and I tell them, you know, like, your kids are teenagers right now and that's so tough for you to find a way for you to connect with them. And this is one way. I mean, for young people, I always, it's a challenge. I, I always... It's, it's a, it's the value of a challenge, um, and, and the, the value in pushing yourself to do something that is above and beyond. Once you're able to make that choice and say, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do this. I don't have to do this, but I think it's in my best interest. Um, it's a, uh, it's something, uh, that clicks in, in, in not only your personality, but just in the way you operate, I think, as as moving forward from that point. Um, Because you then take it upon yourself to say, okay, I understand that these are my goals. There's things I have to do and things I have to sign up for that maybe are a sacrifice, and I'm committed to that and and my self-betterment. So I think, really, that that's a value that goes beyond just what we say, which is to create community, but it's a a personal choice that that folks make um, about self-empowerment and, and self-sacrifice um, and about progressing themselves. I so For me, it's, a, it's very much a, a personal choice and a personal value.
1: Let me ask you, your mother and dad uh, have constantly been part of the journey. Were you the first in the family to move off and go off into the distance, meaning away from home to go to college? Or had that example been set for you already?
0: I had uncles who were in the military, and so they were always, they were stationed in, in Europe, in Germany, and one uh, was in Desert Storm. So I feel like that idea of being far away from home and the sacrifice of my senior family it was there as I was a young person, but the the education or journey um, that I made was different from, from my, I feel like theirs, uh, because the, I had the choice, right, essentially, to, to go a far away to study and the privilege, and I took it, and so I was the first to do that. Um,
1: how, how did that, that affect? The, my... How did that affect the spirit at home? the The sense of a child leaving. I'm just curious about Latino culture, feelings, emotions. How, 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 what was the conversation?
0: Mm, it was. We love you. We know you can do this. We want you to do this,
1: so and I see- feel
0: like that's a conversation. Yeah, love is, I think, always at the at the forefront of all those conversations, and it's a it's a conversation. I feel like that's a, easy for me to uh, to talk about it because I'll, I often recount my own journey when I'm talking to parents who are scared about sending their kids off for a weekend to go participate in the in the, in the great debate, um, and it always plays out the same way. And I feel like for so many of the young people who participate in or have this experience through an HI, it's the same as it prepares them for the eventual big step that they're going to make, to leave home uh, for a long period of time in a college setting and maybe even after that in a professional setting to, to be away from parents and, and from family um, and and to wrap their heads around the fact that while they might be away from their family, that doesn't mean that they're abandoning the family. It really just means that you're You're giving your family the experiences that maybe they always wish they had. I mean, and um, maybe ones that your parents wish they could have had. Did did you Uh, know? I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. did you know? I was going to ask you just as a follow up question. Did you know Hmm. when you went to D.C., uh, my curiosity says to me, maybe he was already thinking about politics, maybe he was associating the geography or the location with something in the back of his head. Uh, did you know that you were going to be arriving in an environment that was not usual to your upbringing?
0: Uh, I think the choices, I mean, I always liked politics in NHI. I mean, think kind of breeds these little politicians and public speakers. And I remember the the um yeah uh, the 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 leader of the NHI program when I was in it would say Carlos oh, you're such a little politician um <laughs> so I think that idea was always there, and the idea of being in d c and in the nation's capital um certainly was like i think one of the key selling factors for why I wanted to to go to d c and to be there um but it wasn't until i was i graduated and I had the you know, GW has their commencement ceremony, which is our graduation ceremony, on the National Mall right in front of the, the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And we had Julian Bond wow. uh, be our commencement speaker. So he was uh, the head of the, uh, the SNCC movement, the Students national like, uh, movement uh, during the Civil Rights era and was one of the first leaders of the NAACP. Um, and I remember him telling a story uh, but essentially, it goes like this. He said, "You know, now you are welcome to into a privileged class of Americans. You are college graduates. Um, I know that you will go go out in the world and do well in your lives and your professions. But I challenge you to go out and do good in the world." Um, and that was something I think that really stuck with me. Um, in and something that I credit, of course, to to GW and to being in the nation's capital about um, we're just surrounded by public servants uh, all the time and folks that are committed to making the nation a better place and their communities a better place, and they all find themselves in, in D.C. for that reason, and the idea that they like politics and they like to see things happen, um, you get an interesting melting pot of folks who are have big ideas and are really driven, um, and that's all thanks to just being in a city where it revolves around politics and government and where they all intersect with the community.
1: So, so I remember you coming back and you become re-engaged mm-hmm. with the local NHI programs and I remember mm-hmm. you playing a leadership role and uh, giving to other younger kids somewhere in there somewhere in there politics begins to Emerge, and you join. if I remember correctly, eventually you joined Congressman Green's staff. Am I correct?
0: You're correct. It it was a long journey to get uh, inside the Capitol. I'll tell you that. So uh, I came back to Houston. I did um, uh, community development work. So not only was I really committed to the National Hispanic Institute, and the reason why is because I just loved the young people. I loved being around really, really smart kids. Sometimes I couldn't have I couldn't even have the conversations that I was having with ninth graders with some of my own colleagues and friends. I think I really missed that. Um and then I actually did some international development work. So I had the chance to travel all over the world. I went to eighteen countries in eighteen months and filmed a documentary series. Yeah. So I got to that's one of those places where I'm walking around India and I'm just trying to take it all in because I know that so many of my family members would have loved to have been there and I've got to take it, take, remember every single little color and every noise and smell so I can go back and tell them. So I got to see and be a part of this amazing work, um, humanitarian work that, that I, that I never thought I could, I could do. And then I started working on campaigns, uh, political campaigns and trying to get good people elected, um, to city, city government first. And then uh, I did a statewide presidential race. Um, and then from there, decided that I wanted to make the move back to Washington, D.C. Uh, and I had some great support and friends that uh, encouraged me and let me stay on the couch and connected me to the right people. And then I ended up working for uh, Congressman Gene Green, uh, here who represents like, the neighborhood that you grew up in and the neighborhood that I grew up in as well. So that was a real privilege.
1: And so, and so you go there. But then you leave and, and and you you take a job with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and eventually become yeah. their, their communications director. Am I correct?
0: That's correct. Uh, you know, I worked for Gene for 10 months and he's a great boss and uh, able to stay committed to the neighborhood that I grew up in and still talk to the people that, you know, like our community leaders and. They, Address their concerns and try to move the needle forward here. Um, the opportunity came up to work with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Um, and at this point, I think where we are in, in the political landscape and uh, with our current administration, uh, and the, the stance they took, uh, in so many different on so many different issues that affect our community, I felt like the Congressional Hispanic Caucus was where I wanted to be and where I can really make a difference. Uh, especially the fact that we're Democrats in a minority, and um, a lot of what we're doing is is setting a narrative and messaging how the decisions that are being made in Washington are impacting the regular person uh, who's you know trying to pay for their kids to go to college, who are. Work in several jobs to get ahead, um, and that's where I wanted to be. And luckily, you know, I got I got I got the interview and I got the callback interview. And actually, I'll tell you a funny story. I got the callback interview and then I didn't get the job. Ernie, huh. so um, I didn't I didn't get the job initially. Uh, and then about three weeks in, they called me back and they said, you know the you know we made a mistake and we think you're the right person uh, and we'd love to have you on the team. So. Um,
1: That at that point I said, okay, let's do this. So we can call the first time fake news, right? Uh, And (laughs) and then the next time it was real news. A a, a couple of give me a time frame. So let's take let's take Carlos Paz uh, as an 18 year old. Uh, First, we know that as a 14 year old, the, the journey is NHI, great debate, LDZ, building that local community uh of NHIRs volunteering, uh being a head coach, being a very visible participant in the lives of young people. Boom, you go to college, you're at George Washington, you graduate, you're in the mall, you listen to Julian Bond, you travel the world, uh you see 17 nations or thereabout. Uh you take all this in, you how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Between the time that you yeah, that, graduate from college to now, what kind of time period are we talking about?
0: So, I graduated when I was 23, came back to Houston, worked for this community development nonprofit for about three years. That put me at 26, 27. Decided to go make the jump to do international development and travel. Um, at that point, I'm 28, uh, go back and work uh, in. in you know, local campaign politics. I'm 30, um, and then uh, make the jump to DC when I'm 31, 30, 31, and now I'm 32 years old, and I'm working for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Um, and now, and, and where we are now, I'm 32, <laughs> having this phone call. Let
1: Let me let me increase the level of difficulty of my inquiry or my questions. Mm-hmm sitting where you sit from DC as Latinos, do we have a voice or are we just a market? Are we just a consumer market that
0: votes? That is a very interesting question. And I'm going to give you a very straightforward answer is that we do have a voice. And what's really, really cool about being at the Hispanic caucus right now is we're at this point where not only do we have a voice, but we're getting to a point where we have real power. And there's a difference between the two. Um, so we're able to talk and people listen, which is very important. So we have press conferences and put out statements and all the nuts and bolts of that. But the power comes in, in are you in places within Congress where you can leverage your voice and your position to create change? And where the Hispanic community is right now is that we're at a very pivotal moment where we are gaining that those positions of power. We have more leverage and are using our voice in a more, much more effective way. Um, all that to say, it's it, it's really cool to be there right now because all of this is coming together.
1: If we're doing that, why aren't we? Mm-hmm. Scoring victories with DACA.
0: <laughs> well, that's a good, another great question. I think the reality is that we're in a Republican-controlled yeah, government. Give me a,
1: don't give me a political. I mean, I want you to tell me if we're there and you're saying we're gaining power, I would agree that we may get more airtime. I don't think that computes mm-hmm. to power. I think that computes to airtime. I listen to Joaquin. I listen to Gutierrez, and they're all kind of wringing their hands and talking about why things are not moving forward. They're not talking about moving forward. They're explaining why it doesn't move forward. What what is the sense of powerlessness? What what is the confusion here?
0: And we just need more people, and we need and it's uh, and it's hard to. It's very difficult to separate, you know, the the politics because it is the reality in which we're working right now. You have, and something that we say all the time, you have nearly 90% of Americans who want something to happen. And my question always is, is why aren't we doing something then on dreamers? Why can't we score a victory if it's what 90% of Americans want? And the system is so flawed. You know, you have people who go back to districts where the dreamer constituency is almost non-existent. So they vote. It might be the moral one they might be there at the right place but they don't have to be and it, they don't want to be is it is it, time, be.
1: is it time is it time for an independent latino party
0: uh, now we're getting into now we're getting into uh, the, I'm, the, I'm just, just going um, to push you
1: i'm going to push you godless
0: i think we've got an opportunity to work within the democratic party um i don't think it's time for an independent latino party as i I think we're stronger when we build coalitions, and the Democratic Party has got a unique position right now where we're really really leveraging those coalitions, and I'll give you an example on the Dreamer front. We've got the Congressional Black Caucus, which many undocumented young people are of African descent, so when we put out a statement, it includes the Congressional Black Caucus, includes the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, who have a large number of undocumented young people who are of Southeast Asian or Asian descent, and the Hispanic Caucus. And so we're we have been and are will continue to to use this coalition to put forth um, you know, a strong show a strong front against folks who really don't want to do anything. And that those are, and what you're hearing right there, Ernie, are the, uh, the trains in the East End.
1: Uh, I yeah that, that those are good memories listening to that sound uh, because we always had we always we always had noise interruptions in our lives whether it was a car wreck <laughs> whether it was an ambulance or whether it's whistling trains we'll go we'll, we'll work through it a, a, a kind of a different question if you were standing in front of a group of Latinos in this country mm-hmm. what what is the handle that they should adopt what is the philosophy is more patience. Patience has been the one definition that we have been held to generationally. Patience. Uh, Patience. Vote. Be a blue uh, voting person. Uh, Vote. Uh, It'll come with time. When does patience no longer become the appropriate word? I see the the massacre that just happened in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of poor Marco Rubio uh, defending the fact that he's received NRA uh, donations. Um, I have not heard the Latino voice. With which I have not heard any Latino congressmen or congresswomen speak to the horrific issue that just takes place that still brings tears to my eyes why are we being silent on something so universal that applies to us as well
0: I would push back and say that we just that maybe we're not listening (laughs) so I I see all the statements that go out and and I know for a fact that just about every Hispanic Congress person has put out a statement condemning those actions and asking for and the majority of which are uh, Hispanic Democrats, but also I think the handful of Hispanic Republicans who for the majority are from Florida, uh, have also as well. So I, I think, you know, where the focus is right now is the affected community. So you're seeing a lot of their senators and folks um, there. But I would challenge you also to look at whenever they do their big rally on March 24th to see, The Hispanic uh, leaders of Congress, members of Congress, to stand up there in solidarity and 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 show a united front there. But that's to your original question, which was, what would I say in front of a group of young Latinos? Um, And you also brought up like patience being something that's been uh, uh, I wouldn't say a value, but a predominant I think uh, modus operandi for for many Latinos. I would say vote often and regularly, not only that, but get every single person in your family to vote and to ask for more, right? To ask for more from elected officials. Um, you, they spend an exorbitant amount of money uh, to try to reach voters. Uh, and if you're going to give them your support and you believe in their agenda and their issues and you believe that they're going to represent you, and when they don't do that, you need to hold them accountable. And for... And, and that is what moves folks forward. So even if it's five people continuing to call, uh, your congressman, um, and asking for something, asking for them to take a position and being adamant about it, um, and holding them accountable, that's what moves the needle. And I've seen it firsthand. And it's, you know, it's working now with the Women's March, with, you, you know, Dreamers, uh, United We Dream and the organizers, the young MLMs, are the people that are leading Congress? So, are
1: you are we you are su- are, you, are you suggesting that maybe there is no place for a conservative voice in the Latino community?
0: A conserv uh, is there no place for a conservative voice in the Latino community?
1: Yeah. In other words, I'm not saying. Go ahead.
0: I'm saying I, I I'm not saying that. I'm saying if, if that because for that. That is to cast out, you know, fifth. What I think, arguably, I think polling puts it at like half of the Latino community, or seventy percent, thirty percent of the Latino community.
1: And it's based on issues like abortion, and things of that nature. Yeah,
0: I understand. I think there's a place for it, but I think there's also a place to say what is in the best interest of my community. And if you look at it that way, Republicans vote is not in line with what's in the best interest of the Hispanic community in my opinion, my personal opinion. Um, but I can't, I, I'm not going to say, I mean, I think some of that divisiveness and some of this idea that we can just, um, uh, we should cut off uh, a part of uh, the way our community thinks about things is, is not the path forward. I don't think that gets us anywhere.
1: Let me start bringing this to a close uh, because we're getting close to our time limit. I'm getting the signal from our sound engineer. You didn't know that, Julio. Is wears multiple hats here at the office. I think we all do. I think we're drivers, we're sound engineers, lecturers, presenters, theorists, politicians, and so forth. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Godless tomorrow. Am, am I hearing that someday Godless will run for the U.S. Congress, maybe, or maybe for public office, in that quadrant of the state called Houston? Am am I?
0: <laughs> um, you're not hearing that right now. I think if the that's not what that's not what I, I ask,
1: God. That's not what I ask.
0: <laughs> I think you know. If, Are you being evasive?
1: Are
0: you being evasive? I'm <laughs> being evasive. That's the best. If the opportunity presents itself where I can really make a difference and I have an opportunity to represent people and they believe in me, um, I think someday you know I'd consider it. And I think NHI is like has been a great. Training, training ground for so many young people who want to run for office. Uh, so, so, because,
1: so what do you what what do you think of the idea that right now five NHIRS are actual candidates for the U.S. Congress as we speak, and there some of them are I, younger I think, than Carlos Paz.
0: <laughs> I think it's great. I think the more people get involved, the better. Um, I think it's also there's a quite a bit of know-how um, that it takes in order to mount a winning campaign. Um, You're going to be asking your friends and family and people that you don't know to support you and you ought to try your hardest to make sure that you, there is a path to victory um, that you're, that you're promising to them at the end. Right. So it's not something that should be taken lightly. I think um, the right opportunity isn't always the soonest one. Um, I think, that people should think very long and hard about how, you know, a decision to run for public office and be in the public eye will affect their families and not only themselves. I mean, it's a big decision. And I think um, it's absolutely great that more people are deciding to run for office. That's what we need. Um, but I also hope that, that folks have got a great plan for themselves and for their campaigns, um, that ultimately at the end will result in them in a victory.
1: Well, Carlos, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I, I know that I've I've watched you develop. You know, I, you know that uh, you you're held closely in our hearts of both Gloria and me. Uh, we uh, uh, have admired you for years and, and your work. Um, I, I need to end with a with a with a final question. You're in front of a group of young people, and you want them to believe. And something in this country. You know, one of the issues that we run across all the time is the fact that we're often seen as aliens in our own nation. We're seen as minorities or people of color and people who live on the fringes of American society. And those become discouraging labels to our development. If you were to ask young people, if you were to guide young people and relabel in themselves, and redefined in them themselves in the context of the American experience. What would be your three top recommendations?
0: Geez, Ernie, and uh, I clearly I did not get these questions in advance. You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> this is a this is a big a big question. I think the top three things for young people is um. It's to not feel limited, number one. Just because you're young doesn't mean that you can't do something. And I think what we're seeing now is the, the power that young people have to influence those in in, uh, in in elected office. I mean, we're seeing that play out right now. We've been seeing that out, play out in the last couple of, of months and since the beginning of the Trump administration, even before that. So not limiting yourself, I think, is number one. Is just, in a way, to live. Um, and that can translate in so many ways. I think the number two thing is, uh, and maybe this isn't a redefinition, but it's certainly a recalibration um, mm-hmm. in the in the way young people think about themselves, which is to understand what your values are. And it's something we talk about a lot in the HR. But something, you know, I, I look at young people and I say, um, uh, they often come to me with a challenging mm-hmm. decision or situation, and I say, what do you think is the right thing to do? Where, what, 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 where is your moral compass uh, pointing you, and 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 it's very clear, you know, to folks what's right and what's wrong. And I think listening to that, um, it, it, we need that more than ever now with like the divisive politics with with everything. Like, what's what, what's right and what's wrong, you know, as a young person, and follow that. Because I mean, you know, and, and the third
1: number third thing would be what.
0: Um. And the third thing I think is just to to turn that to translate that into action. And and there are young people, and I know ones in each other we work with, but I think for the mass population is, you know, they think that they'll 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 be a certain point in their lives where they should start getting involved. Um, and where it's normal for some of their age to be involved politically or. In other ways, and I would challenge them to, to say that time is now, and wherever, whatever place they are. So, if you're, you know, 12 years old, if you're 14 years old, the time is now. And how can I get involved? How can I turn, you know, my my living limitless potential um, and uh, and following my moral compass to turn that into action immediately. And well, uh, I think if we can do that, then.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think we're being signaled that the time is up. I, 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 um, I think even if you're not of age to vote, you can remind others to vote. I, I think that mm-hmm. if you're not of age to do something, your presence is just as strong as if though you were an active member. Uh, I think there are a lot of great things that are left for us. I think America right now is redefining itself. And I think our young people are going to be that generation that allows us to go into the beyond and redefine ourselves no longer as minorities, but young people who are simply contributing to the American experience and making this a better world. I totally agree. I want to thank you. I want to thank your parents. I want to thank your family. I especially want to thank you one more time for being uh, an example for a lot of our young people, for being that courageous individual, for being that disciplined-minded young man that that sees tomorrow and is unafraid of it and adventures into the unknown. It's a great example for a lot of young people to emulate. Thank you for your time, Carlos Paz, uh, our favorite son from Houston. We'll be in touch in the near future. Thank you and goodbye.
0: Thank you, Ernie. Have a good one. For more information on the National Hispanic Institute, please visit our website, Institute dot org. Call us at 512-357-6137. Find us on Facebook at NHIHQ or on Twitter, NHI underscore news and at Instagram and Snapchat, NHI underscore news.